Well, it's good to be back at Wayzata Free Church. Uh, for those that are been here less than 14 years, I was the interim pastor last time you had a transition. And some of you, uh, your faces look very familiar. Other faces are not that familiar. Notice I didn't say they're strange because that <laughs> means something different. But I know where the trap door is, so I'm going to stand over here because... I heard the announcement about kids in the nursery, and I just want to, before the message, just give a hearty amen to that. Let me just say that um, if I were a pastor coming to a new church, I'd love to come to a church where they're beating people away, the volunteers, versus one where they're pleading for volunteers. That says something to me as a pastor. The other thing I want to say is that um, uh, moms, they just get exhausted, and, and young families get exhausted. And if they're the ones also working in the kids' program, That is just way too much. So they need more grandmas and grandpas. And I guess this is the service where most of the grandmas and grandpas come to work in the nursery. And so you know how many worship services you'll be in for the next millennia? When we pass on and throughout all eternity, we've got millennia and millennia and millennia of times of celebration. Only a few times to serve and work in a nursery, and and now's the time. And let me also say something to, to the men, to grandpas more than grandmas. Um, in our world where they're a little afraid of men with children, if you know what I mean, it's a great deal to work in a nursery because you just rock those babies and play with them. And then you say, oh, here's one, Doris, you take them because, you know, they don't want you messing with the pants anyway. So, you know, you're cool. And uh, it's a great deal. And then if you work in the toddler nursery, you just here's a here's a chocolate graham cracker, Billy. And two for me, one for Susie and two for me. It's a great deal. So why would you want to be sitting here in these hard pews listening to some monologue from a guy like me when you could be there with those kids? Okay, enough infomercial. All right. I love children. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, For about 20 years now, I've been teaching pastors and training pastors at Bethel Seminary and leading conferences. And one of the topics that I share with at these conferences, share with pastors, is the issue of coping with congregational expectations. Because I'm convinced the average pastor, before he even walks in the door, is set up for failure. Because different people have different ideas of what that pastor should be doing. How much time they should be spending doing this, doing that. What level of the sermons should be. Should there be more stories? Should there be more exegesis from the Greek? How much Greek should be used? Too much Greek should be And all this stuff, and it goes on and on. And I think the average pastor is set up for failure. So I've been coaching pastors, trying to help them deal with the divergent and different expectations that they'll face when they come into a congregation. Now, about four years ago, it dawned on me that maybe I'm preaching to the choir because some of these people already know they're going into a place with divergent expectations. Maybe I need to have a church version that helps congregations understand the differences and maybe are a little more uh, supportive of ministers, your staff, as they understand the pull of ministry. And thus, for the last few years, I've been sharing this topic, expectations preparing for a new pastor. And again, as Mike and I were reminiscing, uh, I was lined up to preach this Sunday way before um, and, and here an announcement is made on this Sunday. It seems like God's weaving some things together. So let me go ahead and, and talk about pastor ministry. Now, the first half of this, I want to give you a picture of, of the, the issue or the tensions. And then I want to help us with a support strategy of how can we help one another in ministry? Because it's not just pastors in ministry. It's all of us involved in ministry. 
So that's kind of the game plan. And what I'll do, if, if you want, I'll, I'll post this on a website, my website, and uh, all but the cartoons, because I can't do that. That's illegal. But, um, and then you can link from the church web to that if you want to get this information uh, later. Or you can, I think there's CDs if you want to do it that way. But let me mention, first of all, that in pastoral transitions, that uh, the average pastoral stay in America is still under four years. It's 3.8 years. That's how long the typical pastor stays in the congregation. And frankly, you barely get to know one another in the first three years. But that's the changeover because of the type of job it is, the preciousness of the job. There's a myth of the greener grass for the pastors. Someone out there loves me. Another church wants me. They've promised me everything. And there's a myth for the congregation. Well, we can get a better pastor and all that. And there's transition. The average youth pastor transitions about 18 months, and that's how long youth pastors stay. Because, again, the pressureness of the job. Can you imagine that time, if that's the turnover in, in our church here, how, how hard that could be on young people? And so there's something good about longer tenures of people volunteering in ministries and people also serving as staff. Now, there are a number of factors that lead to burnout in church. One writer in the clergy and lady, in, uh, lady burnout writes this, factors related the church... Uh, the work of the church is never done. Now, some of these may relate to your job, and you have a very precious job, and maybe these, these factors relate to yours also. But it seems, I, I tell pastors, you know, you preach your best sermon, and another, one, another one's due in six days. I mean, you've got to get the outline done in two days and turn it, and you've got to do this thing again, you know, seven days from that Sunday. In fact, the better the sermon you preach, what? The higher the expectations are for the following week. And so I tell them every fourth sermon, preach a dud. Get that thing back down there. Just get it, get it more reasonable again back down there, and then you can work it up again. But you get the idea. Okay. Too much of the time, the church doesn't provide clear expectations of tasks, uh, both for all of the volunteers, all of us ministering the church, as well as for leadership. The tasks aren't really clear. What, what's expected? And so I coach pastors when you're having a job description, you sit down with the search committee and they say, we want you to do this, this, we want you to counsel, we want you to spend some time in you know, sermon preparation, we'd like you to, you know, ask them to quantify that. How many hours a week? Do you want me to spend 10 hours a week on a sermon? Do you want me to spend 20 hours a week on the sermon? Do you want me to spend about six hours in counseling or no hours in counseling or ten hours in counseling? Do you want me to work with the staff in development and spend an hour with each staff each week? And once you start unpacking that, it becomes clear that there's just not enough hours in the week just like in your job for their jobs either. And so what are the main things in the expectations? Well, ministry tends to be repetitive and repetition can be grinding. Poor time management wears down the church. Churches, many churches run very inefficiently. Uh, the church is a haven for a refuge for people with great need. In fact, that, that's what we say. And in fact, some churches kind of advertise themselves as a hospital. We're there for, to help people. And when you get all the people that need help, unless you have a lot of helpers, you, you just it gets more difficult. Um, the church uh, is not valued by its surrounding culture. Stop and think of the books you're reading or the programs on TV, and it's true of probably about 17 to 20 percent, different by generation. Uh, 59 percent for seniors attend a church on a given Sunday, whereas it's only 4 percent of millennial boomers, about 38 percent. So it's changing in America, not in the good direction. But if you look at those issues and you, 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 you look at those details of ministry not being valued, while so many people are still religious, 
in America and, and claim they're Christians, when do you see that part of life operating in ER or any other program on TV? And if you see anyone, especially a pastor in a television situation, it's probably the guy's having an affair or he's scammed something from the church. It's just, you know, the person who used to be reverend, revered one in the early years of our country, it's just not there anymore. It's, there's not the esteem there anymore. Ministry is often a mess. And that's where we're dealing with messes. Think about your families. Do your families always run perfectly? No. There's, there's great times and there's messes. And complicated with all the great times and all the messes. And at any given moment in a church this size, there's always somebody getting really hard news about health situation. Always somebody whose teenage kids are flipping out, violating curfews, or came home drunk or something. Always somebody who's lost a job and needs to find a new job. It's always happening in all these families. And so churches are are just, just a human community with a lot of messes and a lot of problems, a lot of issues. So, you know, that puts a lot of pressure on pastors. Now, I've got some pictures of some pastors that have really kind of fried. Here's the first one that's really, really tough. No, you learn to need to learn to relax a little, Harold. This guy's so tight and stiff, he's got to relax. Or this one. This is the worst case of pastoral burnout, frankly, that I, I've ever seen. This pastor's just absolutely fried. Or this next one. This is one of my favorites. Look at that guy's neck. No, actually, this is my son, the pastor. He never learned how to handle stress very well. Poor little shrivel up guy over there. Okay. Or people have expectations even on the pastor's kids. I would have never thought a pastor's child would have a diaper like this. Oh, man. (laughs) Pastors put pressures on themselves. Here's a pastor going to church one day and he's saying, Knock it off, kids. How's anyone supposed to know I'm managing my house well? You know, there's that pressure when you have to do that. I remember, this is the truth, I remember preaching through Ephesians. I'd never do this again, but I preached 52 messages from Ephesians. And on the Sunday I'm preaching on the sermon, don't exasperate your kids or stir them up to anger. I think I swung at Ben three times over the back seat driving to church or something. It was one of those Sundays. And I remember getting up in the church and saying, you know, this is really a great sermon on parenting. And I need to hear it. So I'm going to sit down there and I want one of you to come up here and read this. Any takers? No takers. Okay, I'll do it. But you need to realize I'm not telling you where the words telling all of us. Okay, so pastors put a lot of pressure on their own family. The neighbors have expectations on pastors. <sighs> Look, Stan, I'm sorry about your car, but frankly, I'm appalled. You being a pastor would allow yourself to be upset over something like this. Uh-huh. Anyway. Well, you have all these expectations out there. Counsel me, humor me, feed me, rebuke me, love me, visit me, encourage me, disciple me, comfort me. And so what happens is pastors feel like they're spinning plates and they're just doing the old thing where this one's going and this one's going. And you probably maybe some of you have a job like that. And before you go here, this one's starting to move and this one's moving and and it just keeps going like that. So, you know, listen to this pastor, how he expresses it. I'm appalled at what's required of me. I'm supposed to move from sickbed to administrative meeting, to planning, to supervising, to counseling, to praying, to troubleshooting, to budgeting, to audio systems, to mediation, to worship preparation, to newsletter, to staff problems, mission projects, conflict management, community leadership, to study, to funerals, to weddings, to preach. 
I'm supposed to be in charge, but not too in charge. Administrative executive, sensitive pastor, skilled counselor, public speaker, spiritual guide, politically savvy, intellectually sophisticated. And I'm expected to be superior, at least first rate at all of these. I'm not expected to be depressed, discouraged, cynical, angry, or hurt. I'm supposed to be upbeat, positive, strong willing, available. But right now, I'm not filling any of those expectations very well, and I'm tired. Man, I'm tired just reading it. Can you hear the, the, the voice there? So it led one writer to put it this way. Being the CEO of a church is like being a medical doctor of a mental institution where all your board members are also your patients. <laughs> now, now, let me tell you that when I share this with pastors... They say, you don't use that in churches, do you? I say, yeah, I, I do. Because, you know, you need to understand there's very few positions in, in life where a person is evaluated by the very people that could make or break him, in a sense. You could all choose not to volunteer. You could all choose no one wants to work with student ministries. And then a bunch of people can get upset with the staff or the pastor or the youth pastor that... Our youth program is not as strong as it should be. I mean, that's just a crazy setup. And so there's an element of truth to this. So what is a pastor to do? It seems like it's, you know, it's a lose-lose situation. Well, there's a couple things you could do. One thing you could do is just say, well, that's, life's not fair. You chose to be a pastor, suck it up. I mean, you know, just that's just the way it is. Show the next the cartoon there. Yeah, see, no one said anything about life being fair. <laughs> oh, that is so sick, isn't it? That's just... The poor little mouse finally got through the whole maze and he whacked. So some people say, well, life's not fair. I mean, and I tell pastors this. I said, you know, you, you need to realize you're making a choice here. Have you ever heard a doctor, a medical doctor say, you're sick? You were sick last time you came in. You're sick every time you come in. This whole room is filled, this waiting room with sick people. What is this? Well, we laugh. Why? Because doctors exist because of sickness. Well, if we all had our spiritual acts together and lives together, then maybe we wouldn't need pastors either in a certain sense. But there's a call for that because there's a spiritual kind of sickness that we all have. And part of the pastoral job is to help us not live on the old nature as much as possible, encourage us to live in the new nature as much as possible, following the spirit of Christ in our lives. And so one way is just say, well, life's not fair, but that's not helpful. So the other thing you could probably do is just get some Groucho glasses on and put on Groucho glasses and just hide and just simply say, no, I'm sorry. The pastor and his family aren't here right now. They were kidnapped by gypsies, you know, and so you can't find them. Well, we have four sets of these. If you know my wife, the classy part of the family, uh, it's hard to get her to wear her set, but when my kids were young, three of us at least wore them through the airports when we were going places. <laughs> okay, well, this doesn't work either. I mean, pastors can't always be available, but they have to be available. I mean, Jesus didn't spend all of his time with Bartimaeus, did he? But he, but he answered Bartimaeus, but he invested more of his time in the disciples and more in the three. And so there's a disproportionate amount of time. You expect a pastor to spend most of their time in leadership development, because if leaders are developed, then there's more of us to help everybody. And so that, that kind of fits. So just, just hiding is not good, but there ought to be a time when the pastor has the answering machine on the phone or has a break. But what, what realistically can help and what, what are some issues? Well, before we get there, let me try to unpack this 
pool of expectations a little more clearly. Go to the next slide. And on this one, you see that there are divergent functional expectations in the church. There's a sense in which effective ministry requires a certain amount of studying and preparation. And yet, at the same time, it requires teamwork, not being in the office, not being at the desk, not working on a computer, but being out there with teams of people. And then also there's another pull, and that's in the direction of visionary. Churches need visionary or creative leadership. But at the same time, they're looking for someone that could be an implementer, that can put, you know, actually work out the details. But, but you know that not everyone's wired that way. Some of you, if you're in a brainstorming situation, you don't have any ideas. You're not wired to come up with ideas. Others are spitting out idea after idea after idea. But the others are wired, they're wired to be able to weigh ideas. And so this person's spitting out this idea, that idea, that idea, and, and the other person's going, that stinks, that'll never work. I, you know, because you're wired to, to, you know, evaluate and reflect. And, and one person can't do both of those jobs. Well, you want somebody that's uh, counseling, but also someone who's visiting. Maybe someone who can take us deep, but someone who's, who can put, put the word on the first shelf. You know, someone says, put the rubber on the road, put the cookies on the first shelf. And so, you know, what, what's the, you know, what level sermon? I've got a friend who likes really deep sermons. That church also has some brand new Christians. If they were to have the sermons that pre- please this friend, in fact, he made the comment, um, I won't go there. Anyway, um, okay, I started it. He said, last sermon, Pastor Blank, he said he had, he had uh, seven minutes of exegesis and only 23 minutes, and it had 23 minutes of illustrations. He was not happy with that. It wasn't deep enough. I said, so you mean he's starting to preach like Jesus? Anyway, I didn't want to go there. Anyway, okay, we can... But so each Sunday, the, the pastor and, and the teachings, you have to come up with a soundbite. Where, where can we do the balance between good Bible interpretation and relevant application? And there's a soundbite. And for some of you, it'll never be deep enough. And so you've got to be in a go deep Bible study. And others, it may be a little heavy and you need to be in a relational study or something. But there's got, you can't do it all. I don't know where we left off. Are we in number? Uh, let's try uh, deep. Oh, yeah. Okay. Deep and then then um, easy or simple. Let's go to uh, feed the flock and reach the lost. Youth pastors get in trouble with this. You hear someone saying, you know, well, he spends time with all those kids at the high school, but he hasn't taken my son out for a Coke. That person's saying, what, too much time with the lost. Other ones saying, well, he's around here in the youth group, but our youth group's not growing. Not enough time with, you know, okay. And, you, and that tension that's always there. Or another one might be, we want someone just like us, don't we? Someone who's transparent, gives illustrations, personal stories. But actually, we want someone that's better than me. Because if you said, Pastor, I had such a problem the other day. I said something. I can't believe the word that came out of my mouth. And the pastor says, you know, I got that same problem. I might just, I swear up a storm sometimes. You kind of, you know. Or if you, <laughs> now, see, you want someone better than you, but we want someone like us that's kind of like us. And there's those tensions. Or what about the pool of divergent expectations of the personal ones? A lot of churches are looking for someone to lead the church. They're looking for a CEO. Or maybe in, in more realistic terms, Jesus is a CEO, so we want a senior pastor to be a COO, the chief operating officer working under Jesus at a church. But then others feel, no, he's our employee. 
And so if I have a 50th anniversary, of course, the pastor ought to be there and give the prayer. I mean, you know, it's because he's my employee. We always feel that no one has one of those today, do they? Please. Okay. anyway. Okay. Okay. Um, Or what about we want someone who's a family man? We want a family man who spends all the time with the flock. Uh, You see that one. That's kind of a tension. We want a lover who's also a leader. That doesn't exist. I mean, Napoleon was a great leader. He wasn't a very good lover. Okay, you know, that's just, uh, that does, you want a warm, cuddly, fuzzy, pastoral, carish, concerning, they run to the hospital the day before you get sick. I mean, that kind of person, you know, that person probably can't give a directional leadership out of a bag. One person just doesn't have all. I hope what's starting to click now is one person can't do it all anyway. It's got to be us. I hope that's starting to gel. Okay, so we want we want that kind of lover and leader. And then uh, someone somebody is humorous. You know, they like a life story. It's fun. You know, Christianity has joy in it. There ought to be a sense of of not levity and not silliness, but there ought to be a sense of of joy and fun. Ministry can be fun when churches aren't fun anymore. They're usually declining. And when churches are having banquets and there's food and all that stuff like Acts chapter two, they're usually growing. But then not just somebody who's also humorous or fun, but you want someone who's who's sober. I mean, who's uh, serious, who can take us and lead us into God's. I don't mean, you know, that kind of sober. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, what I mean, um, serious about because these are spiritual things and eternity matters and lost people matter to God. And so there's that delicate balance. But some are to be wired more one way than the other way. And then there's. People assume the pastor is going to be an MC, kind of like, again, the, the 50th anniversary or or at this situation, you know, the pastor is going to be the one who does the funeral service and the graveside service. There ought to be a team of people in churches. They're just the, the, the home going team and some are preparing food. Some are going to be licensed if you need that or whatever. And you get graveside service. It just there's no single ministry baptism. Lay people can baptize preaching. Lay people can preach. You've got great preachers in the church. There's no single one function in the church that only a pastor can do. But the pastor's job is to equip us all to do those kinds of functions. So we expect them to be the MC. But then if the person is in front too much, then we get this other one of always hogging the limelight. Again, youth pastors maybe. He's always up front, always in front of the kids. You know, He doesn't share it. He's always with the microphone in his hand. And yet parents expect him to be at the junior high retreat and the senior high retreat and the senior high mission trip and teach Sunday morning and lead the youth group on Wednesday night. It's ridiculous. Probably a good youth pastor would only lead half that stuff. Because besides, why let them have all the fun? Why let them have all the reward in heaven? If you've got someone like that doing, just smack them. No, don't smack. But just say, just say, hey, let me have some of that input in kids' lives. Let me have some of that. Let me do some of that stuff. So there's that tension there. And then we want somebody who's humble. Everyone wants a pastor who's humble, yet who's dynamic. <laughs> when I think of the megachurch dynamic pastors, uh, they're not on both ends of this continuum. It just, it just seems to be hard. So where do we go from here? If there's this tension there and a pastor could be set up for failure because there's this pull on time, there's this areas of whole non-giftedness. They're not gifted to be uh, warm and touch and, and direct and, and, and focused. You know, um, there's some that are spontaneous. I do random really well. 
Others, you know, students that are very linear, sequential, they're in my class going, what is he talking about? The other ones are going, that's cool, you know, because we're all even wired different in learning styles. And so how, where do we go from here as a church? Well, I've given you some points, and let me just share these in, in uh, tie it together then at the end. The first thing I want to say is that each of us, we need to guard our hearts. We need to guard our hearts. As, as a community of faith, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to guard our hearts. We need to keep short accounts. We need to make sure bitterness doesn't show up. We need to be quick when for, in forgiveness. If, if a pastor offends us or something, we, we need to make it right. We need to forgive. Pastors will offend you. There's, there's, people will offend pastors and p- people will do stupid things. You know, we, all, we are all people in process. And we've got to cut slack to one another. It's not saying we don't deal with sin. It's not saying we don't share the concerns that we have. But the demeanor which we have, we need to make sure that, that we, we, we keep short accounts. Guard our hearts, Proverbs tells us. It says, all else, guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of life, Proverbs 4.23. And I shared with you that message on complaining and the difference between the people complaining about the food and God zapped them and the people complaining about their hardships and God judged them and Mary and Aaron complaining about Moses and God judged them and then Moses is complaining up a storm. I don't like this job. This is not my deal. I didn't ask for this. These are my people. I can't feed them. Where gonna find? And God doesn't judge them at all. God gives him help and God gives him assistance because Moses took his concerns to God. The people just spread it among each other and groused among each other. And that can't happen in a family and be a healthy family. So guard our hearts. The second thing that I would say then in Scripture is be devoted to one another. Be devoted to one another. There are bunches of one another's in the Bible. If you want a good study, just look that up in a commentary. All the one another's. It says be devoted to one another. See, if, if you're hoping to call a person who's going to be devoted to all of you, uh, we're going to call the devoted one. And the devoted one will be the devoted of everybody. There's just not enough devotedness to go around. I mean, one, guy, one person can't do that much devoted stuff as whatever the words are. Anyway, it can't happen. And so the Bible says we need to be devoted to each other. And supportive and encouraging and hospitable and forgiving and bearing and all the one another's that are there in Scripture. And if, if that's present, then it's so much easier for a pastor to come in and guide and direct and, and help and shape a, a culture. But, but if we're expecting something goes wrong in my family, there's only one person who can be there for me. That, that model set up for failure unless you want to be a church of about 125. Then you could have the good shepherding model and that could work, maybe 200. But you won't be able to grow unless we're devoted to each other. Well, I could say more on all these, but we're going to move on. Uh, the next one I would oh, be devoted. Romans uh, twelve ten is the reference for that one. The next one I want to say is value diversity. Value diversity. Aren't you glad there are some people who are linear and sequential? I am so glad there are people at the seminary that know Greek and Hebrew who can tell me what you know what this means and what that means. Because I don't want to spend my life studying that much depth of that. I want, I want to be working with people and hands-on. But I need, we need those people. And, and aren't you glad there's some people that just really um, um, are, are great empathetic listeners? And others, they're, they're not that good at listening. And you're saying, I know, I'm married to him. But let's not go there. Anyway, you know, some are not that good at listening, but they're really good strategists. They can really figure out how to make things click. And so all that diversity is good. And the pastor won't have all that gift mix. 
The person you call, whoever's working in children, or if you call Kevin or whoever, all these, they don't have all of it. But together we got it covered, don't we? You know, I, I told you the refrigerator story when we needed one. Barb, Barb we needed a refrigerator. I'm, I'm kind of like just measure it 37 inches, buy it, stick a box in. What? Anyway. Anyway. Anyway, um, no, Barb, it's Consumer Reports, then Best Buy, then Warner Stallion, then Circuit City, then Sears, then Best Buy, then Warner Stallion, Circuit City. You see, Barb is a ready aim, 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 aim. I'm a fire. Do we hit anything? Shoot again. You know, okay. Barb needs me for closure. I need Barb for the right thing. We'd have probably had a gullwing refrigerator door or something, you know, or freezer. Do they come with freezers? What do you mean? You know, okay. So those differences are important, that diversity. Diversity is huge. Even styles of worship. Diversity is okay. But we, we need to make sure this one person can't be at all. And so the next one is the congregation is then, well, the scripture reference there, I'm skipping over those, sorry. There are different kinds of gifts, the same spirit, different kinds of service, but the same Lord, different kinds of working, but the same God works in all of them. You see, there's different wiring, there's different everything. And we need all of it, but one person that you call to be a pastor won't have that all. And so while we value diversity, we need to maintain unity. We need to maintain and move in unity. And again, I, I don't remember, I, I, I don't have all I just speak from outlines usually so I may forgive me if I shared this story before but it's worth hearing again if I did I'm so proud of a guy who's now with Jesus but there was a church meeting in our church in Arizona and uh, we were going to the original founders of that church wanted to build a church of 500 then plant mission churches and we'd already planted two mission churches but the church now had already been growing to about uh, 1200 and uh, in three services and we were going to buy the five acres that were available and Lynn Sharp, Lynn stood up at the meeting. You need to understand, Lynn is one of the founding fathers. He's on the, he was on the board of school board of Mesa. He was dairy cattle rancher, just a supporter of the church, just in so many ways. He was kind of the father of the church. And Lynn stood up, and he did all the bonding programs. So we financed all the building programs, three phases through bonds. And he stood up to the mic at the business meeting and said, I'm opposed to purchasing the land. He said our original plan was blah, blah, blah. Well, the church went ahead and voted to go ahead and buy the land. And Lynn comes, you know, they say any discussion, Lynn comes up and stands in the mic. And you know what people are thinking? Uh-oh, he's going to grab his marbles and go home. He stands in the mic and says, you know how I feel about the, the acquisition of the land, he says, but I believe God speaks through the faith community. He says, so I will move with you, and if you want, I'll, I'll help raise the money for the next building program for the expansion. And I was so proud. I almost want to cry now even. So proud of that guy. Because most people, that's the way they're going to be. You know, it's just that whole thing. The, unity is so huge. If, if I get my way done and make my son or make my daughter do that and fight over that, I might have won and he might have lost, but you know what? I, we both lose. The relationship's more important than that one thing. And so... Value diversity, but maintain unity. Uh, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Next one I want to say is uh, emphasize function over form. And I could give oodles. Okay, that's not very sophisticated for Wyzetta. I can give a plethora of examples. Okay, anyway. Okay. Um, 
I err more on the humorous side. Sorry about that. Anyway, um, a lot of examples of, of this one here of function versus form. But let's just take kids' ministries. We are to disciple children. That's part of the Great Commission. We're to help kids understand more about Jesus and grow in faith. But, but I've been in churches where, where people just get livid that they're not using Scripture press curriculum anymore. They want to use group publishing. Or they don't want to have Awana clubs anymore. They want to do adventure clubs or kids, kids kings. Or they want to do promised land. Or they want to do Luke 252. Or they want to do Saddleback curriculum. You know what? Not, that's just all forms. All that's just forms. You could say, there are churches that say, we're not going to have all those kids' programs. Kids are going to be in celebration with us and then have church time. That's it. No Sunday school. No midweek clubs. 12,000 members at North Point Church. Andy Stanley's the pastor. They have no men's ministries. They have no women's ministries. They have no ABFs. They have no midweek kids, kids programs. They say, we do celebration and we do groups. We've got kids' groups, we've got men's groups, we've got some women's groups, we've got some, but once you have a men's ministry and you have small group ministries, you layer all these things, churches get incredibly complex. And most of all, that's just forms. Theater seats versus pews. Standing versus sitting, singing or standing, sitting, singing. That's all forms. But we go to the wall so often for our forms. And the healthier the church will be, and healthy churches learn to, to stress the functions. We're about worship and celebration. We're about educating people in truth, teaching. We're about unchurched and reaching people through different forms again, different ways. And we're about caring for one another. Those are the forms. Those are the functions. How we do that, that's all up for grabs, really. But churches that are in decline are churches that usually fuss over the forms. Churches that say... This is what we're about. These are our purposes, our churches that thrive. So, so emphasize you have to have forms. I mean, you're either going to sprinkle the kid or you're going to, you know, well, you're not going to drown him, but you're going to wait till he grows up and you're going to immerse him. You know, you got to choose forms, okay? I'm not saying forms are not something you talk about. But we better hold tightly the functions and have good discussion on the forms. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I become all things to all men. By all possible means, I might save some. When Paul's with the Jewish Christians, he didn't eat a ham sandwich in their face. You know, that, that was a problem for them. He, later with the others, he did, you know, Peter. So be flexible, congregation. The next one is esteem the pastoral calling. Esteem the pastoral calling. It's not an easy job. In fact, it says in the Bible that pastors, and especially those, the elders that teach the word, are worthy of a double honor. And I think I mentioned before that word double honor means double stipend. So church boards say, well, how much do we pay a pastor? Your church did. They asked me, how much, what's the salary? What should we pay paying a pastor? So I get all the national statistics, denominational stuff. I could figure that out pretty easy. But jokingly, sometimes they say, well, that's pretty easy. Why don't you just all bring your 1040 forms here? Let me look at your gross income, not adjusted gross, but your gross income. Let's add the number of people in a room and divide by that number and pay the pastor double that. And you got it covered. And they look at me like, you got to be kidding me. And I said, no, I'm just joking. But the point is, that we need to honor, we need to esteem. It's not an easy job. The elders who direct the affairs of the church are worthy of double honor, First Timothy. Let's move on. And I'll just say this one real quick. Resolve your father's stuff. 
uh, or resolve your parents' stuff. Because if I've got problems with my dad or problems with my parents, that'll leak out in problems with my boss. That'll leak out with problems with my teachers at school. It'll leak out with, with how I respond when the police officer pulls my friend over who's driving or whatever. Anyway, uh, you know, it, it's the authority figure issue. If I have problems with authority figures, I'll have problems with the next senior pastor or my boss and other things. But, but we need to resolve some of that stuff from our family of origin if we have it. Many don't, but if we do. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, remember that your brother has, and remember it has something against you. Leave the gift there. Go and be reconciled with your brother. But let, let's, let's clear the baggage. I've got friends that are still fighting their dads, and their dads have been in the grave for 10 years. That's just ridiculous. Somehow we've got to get healed from that, or it carries over into all the other relationships. Maintain your personal support network. It goes back to the one and others again, but maintain your personal support network. Uh, Larry Osborne's a pastor of North Coast Church, not North Point, but North Coast Church in Vista, California. And he says, I don't care what the small group study. He says, I just want people to do life together. We're hearing that expression a lot among young adults, doing life together. Because when something happens, if you're a you know, 60-year-old guy and you're not in the support group or anything, you don't have any friends and all of a sudden you have a heart attack or something happens or, or your wife dies or who knows what, where do you go? If you're a member of a small group, thinking of a woman, Alice, who gets a bad report regarding cancer, her whole group is on that like, like you know, flies on grease. They're, they're, just, they're just there. They are there. And so it's, it's doing life together. I think of some ABFs that, that are just there on, with people that have struggles and some with small groups, but maintain a personal support network. The, the pastor can't be your support network. The staff can't be your support network. There's too many people for that to be your support network. And that's where we need each other as a congregation. Let us consider how we could spur one another on to love and good deeds. Some of your translations have, have spur, some stir. Uh, think of the cattle prod, you know, because you're not going to always, you, most of you aren't going to volunteer to work in a nursery. Shame on you, but you should. But anyway, but if I had a cattle prod, I'm going to keep getting you toward the, toward the nursery. You know, okay. Okay, bad illustration. But anyway, I'm sorry, the nursery thing's on my heart right now. But anyway. That's what it means, how you could prod. Some of your translations say how we could prod one another. Is that N-E-S-B? But some of you have prod, stir, spur. Because we, we get lulled to sleep. We get passive. We just start kind of relaxing. And no, we need, we need to get, do that for each other. Don't give up meeting together as some of the habit of doing. Encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. And boy, when you see when Jesus talks about the end times, we see the day approaching. Last one, become part of a ministry team. Become part of a ministry team. First uh, Peter 4.10, everyone should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. Why are we gifted to serve others? And I know I shared that with you. Uh, fruit. The trees never eat. Apple trees don't eat apples. People eat apples. Orange trees don't eat oranges. People eat oranges. And so if, if we have love, the love's for others. We're loving and patient. We share joy. We're self-disciplined on behalf of others. If they're unchurched, that's what outreach is. If you're kind and gentle with fellow Christians, that's fruit of the Spirit aimed at Christians. That's what fellowship's all about. Or gifts of the Spirit. Someone is, someone is wired empathetic. 
Someone has the gift of mercy. That's just not to share in each other, with each other. That's to share with lost people also. And so all the gifts of the Spirit and all the fruit of the Spirit exist for other people. None of that exists for us. And I'm not who God wired me to be. I, I am not whole unless I'm serving. If I'm not praying for someone else, if I'm not caring or using a gift or, or spending, I'm not, who, I'm not who the Creator wired me to be, who gave us those abilities and gifts. And so it says, be part of a ministry team. Because the people that are serving and that are in the trenches and are helping, that are doing this, that are, are, are working both in the church and in the community through missions and doing all kinds of things, they are usually not the people that are sitting around upset and grousing and causing dissension in a congregation, frankly. And so be part of a ministry team in serving. Well, let me wrap it up like this, this last slide. Without vision, we merely perish. And, and I'm not using the word perish, perish, but we're just playing church. Do, do you want to just do church? Hey, we had enough offering last week. We can keep open another week. Uh, let's sing 454 in the red hymnal. Whatever. I, does anybody want to just do church? If you get a pastor that just wants to do church, you're in deep weeds. You really are. You're in trouble. Uh, you need a pastor who, who's, who's going to be very unhappy with just playing church. I can't think of any of the sharp students that I have that are going to be the future pastors who just want to have a service. They're, they're not there. They want to see people come to Jesus Christ. They want to see people grow in Christ. They want to see people who haven't been serving roll up their sleeves and invest their lives. I've got a friend who's 96 years old. Um, two years ago, he taught VBS. Is that good or what? I was a little ashamed of him this last year. But anyway, no, no, that's okay. But use what we have. That's what it's about. Well, what do pastors do to cope with expectations? Part of it is they need to help us understand that the ministry is about the church, that God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. But what we, what we do, we can move in together in unity and roll up our sleeves and make this next season of ministry the greatest chapter of, of harvest uh, possible through Isaiah Free Church. Father, thank you for these moments and these scripture verses. Uh, we know that you've called people into leadership, the gift of leadership, the gift of pastor teachers in scripture. But help us not to think that means gopher. Help us not to think that means he is omniscient or omnipresent. Lord, help us not to let him have all the fun. We open our lives to you to take the very wiring that you've given us, to take the very gifts you've given us, to take the fruit your Spirit's producing in our lives and use that for the building up of this body of Christ and for the touching of lives of people all around us. That's our desire through Christ. Amen.